0: The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Over the years of doing this, Holly, and we're coming up to seven years, Mm -hmm. we have have artists and authors and athletes, a lot of people who are also doing uh, amazing things with not-for-profit organizations.
1: And we have talked to all different kinds of individuals, a part of not-for-profits, but I think this is a first. Mm. I think. Do you think? I think.
0: I was trying to think of, I mean, especially with the talk of persecution and everything else, it might be one one or two. So, yeah. I mean, myself personally, I've never spoken with Gary, but uh, I'm very excited for it.
1: I am too. We're going to dive into the life and times of Gary. We're going to dive into um, some incredible projects that he is working on, one in particular. No spoiler alerts quite yet, though.
0: Uh, I'd be remiss to not uh, mention uh, Gary Stegg, my friend. How are you? I'm
2: good. Thank you very much.
0: We like to ask the skill testing question, Gary, because we never know where it's going to go. And that is, who are you and where did you come from?
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, I actually, um, yeah, my name is Gary. Obviously, you said that already. I live in Mississauga, Ontario, have lived there for the past 20, almost 28 years, moved from Ottawa area to uh, from Ottawa to Mississauga uh, back in 1996. So, um, I've been a pastor most of my life oh. and, uh, until about eight years ago when I took over the leadership of Open Doors Canada. And that's because, um, you know how God works. We just sometimes, uh, something that's in your heart, something that grows. Uh, uh tw- about 25 years ago, I picked up uh, a piece of literature from Open Doors Canada. And uh, it was um, it was a prayer calendar, basically giving uh, a prayer point for every day of the week. And so, as I was reading this, I was like, I mean, I have to confess that I did not know that Christian persecution was even a thing mm-hmm. back, you know, twenty five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think it does still come as a surprise to many people. I mean, when we're exhibiting, sometimes we get. Some, especially younger people come up and they read the tagline or something and they're like, Christian persecution, really? Is that really a thing? Well, that was me 25 years ago. And, uh, I was a pastor. And so I thought, man, this is important stuff because I know how important the body is, the body of Christ is to, to God. Like to, you know, I mean, he places great emphasis on the body, right? You know, and that has to have implications for us because it's not just a local, Church body. It's, it's the global body of Christ. And so I thought, you know, I got to pay attention to this. So I kept talking to my church about it, keeping the needs of the persecuted church in front of them. And, um, I eventually took a trip into a country, a restricted country with Open Doors Canada. Mm. And, uh, through my connections over the years, I think, uh, what happened was that when they were looking for a new director, they thought, what about that Gary Stagg guy? You know, he seemed to be really engaged with this ministry. And so they reached out to me, and it just seemed to be the right time uh, for me to do that. And so here I am.
1: Amazing. Now, you were a pastor, you said, before this. Has faith always been a part of your life, or was there a come-to-Jesus moment that you can share with us?
2: Well, you know, I grew up in a, in a home where I grew up on the East Coast in Newfoundland. Oh, and nice! When I was up, yeah, when I was growing up, uh, it was um, the school system was like a um, denominational school system. That's just the way it was while yeah. I was there. And so I went to um, a school that was associated with an evangelical church, and because of that, I was exposed to the gospel from a very early age. My parents didn't weren't weren't professing Christians, and so uh, it wasn't you know reinforced at home. But there were times along the the way where, you know, we would have chapel and and uh, services at the school where, you know, I would put up my hand to say, yes, I need that relationship with Jesus. But it never really stuck, you know, Hmm. but I grew up knowing all about it. Yeah, Uh, I went off to university in St. John's Memorial Memorial University, and I studied education in my last year there. I um, went through a time of searching, and it took me back to those roots. And so I gave my life completely to the Lord at that time. And so the miracle of miracles, um, somebody that comes to Jesus in university, I think it's usually the other way around. (laughs) 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 But uh, my story, you know, I I reversed it. I, I came to Jesus while I was in university and, and so that for that final year, I was a Christian for that most of my final year in, in, in university and, um, got really plugged into the church and just became involved in so many different areas of the church. And there were some elder people in the church that I really respected and mm-hmm. they, kind of spoke into my life and said, you know, have you ever thought about going to Bible college? And I was like, no, I never thought about it. I don't want to be a pastor. No, 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 no. You know, just think about it, you know. And so as I thought about it, prayed about it, I really did feel the Lord telling me to go to Bible college. And I, at that time, I thought I was only going just for to learn more of the word. Let's give it a year so I can really yeah. immerse myself in scriptures and learn everything. And, you know, as God leads, I, it was during that first year that um, he placed a call in me for pastoral ministry. Hmm. And uh, so right out of Bible college, I had my position, They, um, a pastor from Montreal who came to the Bible college and interviewed people and hired me. And as soon as I left Bible college, I moved to Montreal and started my ministry there.
1: Oh, wow. I From
2: mean, Newfoundland usually, to
0: Montreal. Yeah. You usually hear of pastors who are like, oh, yeah, I grew up in faith and I knew that I wanted to be a pastor since day yeah. one. And I mean, yeah. it, it takes it takes a lot sometimes. I mean, that's definitely one of those callings. Like, I yeah. feel as though when it comes to school, I'm like, oh, I want to be a doctor. Oh, I want to be a fireman. <laughs> to be a pastor is like, no, that's a legit calling because it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah.
2: And it's tough. It's tough stuff. You know, when you're dealing with people's lives and, um, it's, it's, it's people, you know, often, I think they say it. Ingest, hopefully, but they they say, you know, you guys only work one day a week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, that's, hold on. So that's oh. not true. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, that's indeed. that's why you got out of what you were doing to work for Open Doors Canada because it was only a five day a week job rather than an eight day a week job being a pastor.
2: Yeah, that's more like it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. amazing. Yeah. That's. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I can only think of the culture shock, too. Like, not only are you new to the faith and still, you know, obviously very on fire and willing to serve God, but you went from Mm. Newfoundland to Montreal, and every province has, and territory has their own culture, but were there things that you thought, oh, why am I being sent to Montreal? Beautiful place, but it's just so different.
2: It was beautiful, and I loved it. And uh, it's the kind of place that kind of gets into your blood, you know, it's just like... uh, I, I could move there again tomorrow, you know, yeah. it, it was, it was beautiful. But, uh, I think, I, I think when it comes to ministry, um, it's really not so much a geographical thing hmm. as it is a people thing. Yeah. Because I moved from Montreal. I was there for several years. I got married. And in the same year that I got married, we moved from Montreal to Regina, Saskatchewan. So that was another complete change. No kidding. And you know, I mean, I look back on those on that time, and that was just as precious as Montreal was. Yeah, we loved living in Regina. We loved the people, and that's what it really gets down to. Ultimately, I think is that it it's people, right? You know, and that's what ministry is all about. And so we we were in Regina for again for about three years. And then um, we worked for a senior pastor there who um, resigned, left the church. And back in those days, part of our tradition was that, you know, it was a clean sweep. So hmm. uh, we ended up back in Ontario. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness.
2: And uh we're in the Ottawa area and in the city of Ottawa until moving to Mississauga. So I've been... Wow. I've been everywhere, man. No kidding. You're
0: <laughs> in there and everywhere. <laughs> Seriously. Is, is, was it a difficult decision though for you? For I mean if you're you're pastoring and uh you're you're um pressing into the hearts of people. I mean, you're somewhat doing the same thing now, but to step away from being behind the pulpit if you will to now being an executive director, was it was that a difficult decision for you
2: or did you feel like it was time? Yeah. It was both. I mean, it was a difficult decision, Uh, because I did love what I was doing Mm. uh, and still do miss it sometimes. Uh, But at the same time, you know, um, I did feel a calling that um, perhaps I'm going to be, you know, my ministry is basically will be expanded to, to, to bring, you know, healing and restoration to people that, um, you know, desperately need it, obviously. Right. And also to uh, now I get the privilege of not working in just one denomination. I get the privilege of working with multiple denominations. I speak in all kinds of different churches. Mm. And, um, so I'm able to bring encouragement from the word, but also raise awareness to awaken the church across Canada to what's happening with, um, our brothers and sisters around the world who share our faith, but not our freedom.
0: I I love looking at it from a a 30,000 foot view because you speaking in churches for 25 years to now the position that you're in, you still get to speak in churches. You get to do the same thing, but in a different way. So it's God's way of he was setting you up for where you are now.
2: Yeah. And the beautiful thing about it, if I can say jokingly, is that I get to leave and don't have to deal with any of the repercussions of what I say. (laughs) I see what you did. I see what you did.
1: (laughs) See you next year.
2: (laughs) Not my problem (laughs) now.
1: Oh, that's funny. But yeah, every day you see the the problems and the challenges of Mm. um, Christians internationally and just the plight of what they have to experience. And I know that even for me, who is not as versed in open doors and like those relationships you develop... It's heart-wrenching. How do you process just hearing the stories that are coming out of the different regions that have high persecution against Christians?
2: Mhm. Well, it's very difficult. And I tell people like what I share even with you today or if I'm in a church, the things that I share, anything that I share publicly is what can it's what's con- considered in our ministry a level 3 information. So that's information that's basically uh, safe for me to uh, share uh, with um, the assurance that I'm not going to get anyone in trouble, Hmm. especially people that we're trying to help, right? You know, so I, there are certain, and so I try to remind people of that, like what you're hearing as horrendous as it is, it's the tip of the iceberg Hmm. because I can only share with you level three information what I hear from day to day, though, is level two and level one and even level level zero and level zero information. I can't even share it with my staff here at Open Doors. Mm. It's so sensitive. So just to give you an idea of the sensitivities around some of the information. Um, so that. Yeah. But, yeah, it's 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 heart wrenching stuff that we hear. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I heard someone refer to Canada now as being a pre-Christian society where it's a lot of people just not even knowing about Jesus. So as a ministry, do you find that, you know, as time here in Canada progresses, is it harder to find people to be sympathetic to uh, what Open Doors does? Or do you find that there's just more fervent people praying and it's easier because of some of the shifts in our own culture?
2: Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean— it it's um it's difficult, I think, in many ways, because people, they don't always want to hear, right? Yeah. It's not comfortable stuff to hear, because if you hear it, it's like, well, I have to do something about it. <laughs> and at the very least, I have to pray, you know?
1: Yeah. And so
2: I think for some people, you know, they hear um, what we're about and stuff like that, and, and maybe it's a little uncomfortable, and they don't really want to hear it. Um, but there are those, I mean, you know, I think, you know, with a younger generation very much, um, in tune with, um, causes for justice, right? You know, and, and we believe that everyone should have the right to believe what they want, um, the freedom to choose their religion, the freedom to worship as they want and to convert if they want. Um, you know, we we know that, you know, in societies that uphold that freedom of religion and thought, those are societies that generally flourish, and it's the ones that prevent people from doing that. It's like uh, those are the societies where we know that all kinds of human rights are being uh, abused. Like we we're going to, next month on the nineteenth of March, we go to present our research. We, Open Doors is a very rigorous, um, research, uh, team. Uh, it's a whole unit to itself in Europe and they, they research Christian persecution around the, around the calendar year or the whole calendar year, you know, that's what they do. And so they, they, they come up with what they call the world watch list. And people are familiar with that. I mean, it's used by, governments even around the world to just to, to get an idea of what's happening with uh religious liberties and so on so you know people really respect this research and it's truthful research that we give them so next month on the 19th we go to parliament hill and meet with mps on parliament hill to present them the research of the world watch list we have um MPs from all different spectrums, religious spectrums that come to that because they too know that this is a fundamental right for anyone Mm -hmm. to be able to believe what they want to have freedom of religion and freedom of thought. Right? You know? Mm -hmm. So um, last year we had 44 MPs that signed up to come to our, our meeting and For a luncheon that we put on for them, and um, that that's so encouraging, you know, that we're able to advocate for our brothers and sisters around the world, even in our houses of parliament, and that happens in 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 parliaments around the world, like in the UK, in France, or wherever. It's just happening all over. So, Hmm. the message is getting out. (laughs) Yeah, I'm
0: glad that you had brought up. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the research thing, though, because I was curious as to I I saw the list that was released of uh, the top 50 countries, uh, most persecuted countries. And you said there's research involved. How is this? How do you guys figure out or how do you decide what is considered, you know, top three, top five, top ten?
2: Well, you know, it's it's based on scores. So out of a score of 100. So scores are assigned and it's done in country. It's done I, it's done on like desk work as well, but in the country, you know, uh, talking to uh, a, a, a segment of people within the country, they, they fill out uh, questionnaires and all of this stuff. So they, it, I mean, there, there's a methodology that's, you know, that we have. It's a, it's a book that explains our methodology. It's a hundred pages long. You like yeah. me to go through it right now? I can't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. I got a pen and paper taking notes.
2: <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, it just basically, it, it measures, uh, the pressure and the violence. Yeah. We call it the, um, the smash and the squeeze. So That's how we refer to it. Mm. And so, um, we have scores for, um, pressure. So that, Basically measures the pressure on a Christian in their private life, their family life, their community life, their national life, and even in their church life. Because oftentimes, you know, um, there are other more traditional religions that will persecute Christians, say, if they're of an evangelical, um, slant or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we measure those five spheres of life. And then, then there are scores that are assigned to them. And, uh then we also score separately for violence because oftentimes people think that you know when they think of Christian persecution they automatically jump to violence right their the image that comes to their mind is like violence towards Christian yeah. but oftentimes it's really I mean in some cases that is true and 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 it's growing violence against Christians is is growing but um for for a lot of it it's just a it's just a squeeze on people you know I mean it could be simply because you're a christian you can't get a proper job you're relegated to the very lowest rungs of society you're you're left to picking up garbage on the street oh. or your children may not be able to get decent education only because you carry the name of christian that's the squeeze right you know mm-hmm. so they're not being brutalized or anything like that but then there is the smash and so in places like what's happening in India and some places, um, you know, you've probably heard of Manipur State and the things that happened last year there and the brutality towards Christians. We're seeing a significant rise in violence in sub-Saharan Africa against Christians. And so it's the getting back to your question, brother. Sorry, I uh, get carried away. Um <laughs> i'm here to learn (laughs) yeah we measure we measure you know we measure the the smash and the squeeze and and basically then it it's scored and then the number if you want to know the number one place in the world now where it's most dangerous to live as a christian would be no surprise to you it's north korea and north korea has been on there uh every year since 2002 with the exception of 2022 where they were uh, upended by the or moved they they switched places i think with afghanistan for that one year and that's the year when the taliban took over in afghanistan and so that all factored into the the scores and the research with all that was happening to christians in that particular year but then right away they went right back to being number 1 just absolute brutal place if you're found to be a Christian in North Korea, if you're even found caught with a Bible, it's it, it could mean death, but it will absolutely mean, at the very minimum, you and your whole family will be sent to a brutal labor, labor camp.
1: You know, there's definitely lots of things that we could sit in and, and you know, just feel really bad about it, but... We aren't helpless. We have an incredible God that we serve, and this is a reality. So what do you say to the North American church when they get this kind of information and it's hard to swallow uh, and sometimes you feel powerless? So Mm. what would your advice be when people see this, how to respond? What is our response?
2: Well, you know, the, the number one response I always go to is, is the response that you would get from a persecuted believer. If you ask them that question, because we do ask them that question, what can we do for you? How yeah. can we respond to what we're seeing here? What can we do? You know, and the number one, uh, the number one answer that we get from them is always just pray for us and don't forget about us, you know? Mm. And so the number one thing is prayer. And that's why I, you know, we exist as open doors. Canada is to provide those prayer resources, for people to remember their persecuted brothers and sisters in prayer and educate yourself. That's, that's the important thing to know what is going on and how important that is for us to know what's happening to our brothers and sisters. But I'm also quick to point out, you know, because people say to me oftentimes that this list, this world watch list, this is the brand new one, by the way, just came out and uh, it's, it's published every year, mid January. And um, people, when we talk about it, you know, they oftentimes they will say, that is such a sad list. Mm. And I say, of course it is. Like, I mean, when we think about what our brothers and sisters are going through, how can you not be sad? Yeah. Also quick to point out to them that, you know, it's also, believe it or not, a list of the places where God is working miraculo- in miraculous ways all over our world. Because we see God in the midst of persecution doing some incredible things in and through these believers. When I think that, you know, there are believers, I'll go back to the example of Afghanistan. When that all happened with the Taliban, many of them were given the option of leaving the country, but decided that they were not going to leave because they did not want the light of the gospel to go out in their country. Mm-hmm. And they knew that if they left, that if all the Christians left, There would be no hope for for the country. And so they felt led of the Lord to stay and are doing tremendous work. I could point to the country of Iran. I mean, you know, when you think of what God is doing there, it's incredible. Back in 1979, like for me, that's not a long time ago. That's, um, you know, I was just fresh out of university. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, I was just finishing university, I think, in 1979. So, I mean, that feels yeah. like yesterday to me. You know, it's not that long ago when you think of history, right? You know? yeah, uh, 1979, when the revolution happened in Iran, um, there were about 500 Christians in the country. Hmm. That's it. Hmm. Now, missiologists today all agree that there is likely in excess of one million Christians in Iran today oh wow and that country has been in in you know terrible persecution for all of those years I mean there our Christian brothers and sisters are being thrown into prison daily there you know and it's incredible but God I mean you we have again pictures that often we can't show, but you see, people lined up for like it seems like a kilometer or more on a riverbank waiting to be baptized. Hmm. So you know, our story is sad, <laughs> and I, you know, you know when I I tell people, it just seems like we're just the bearer of bad news all the time. But I, I really want you to know that you know, we see God do some amazing things as well. And and what a joy that is to be able to walk with these brothers that are, you know, under so much persecution. But to understand that even in the midst of persecution and even despite persecution, God is at work Hmm. and seeing his hand move so mightily. You know, I I was really moved when I was in India back in um, 2017. And uh, we were there as a bunch of leaders, executive directors from different countries, Western countries. And we were asked to go to this prayer meeting. It was uh, a bunch of um, volunteers, open doors volunteers in the country of, um, you know, in India. When we walked into the room, there was 1,200 people that were there for the prayer meeting. Oh, wow. I <laughs> <laughs> was we like, okay, this is impressive right off the bat, you know, because yeah. – uh, a prayer meeting in Canada. If you got 12, you'd be, you'd, you'd be like the miraculous has happened, you know, but uh, 1,200 people. And during this time, uh, at one point, they they asked if they could pray for our countries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. I had my phone and I, <laughs> I mean, I felt kind of bad doing it in a way, but I'm like this videotaping. I'm at the very front row I don't want to turn around and do it so I'm putting yeah. the camera up like this I said I' got while they were praying for Canada I had to I had to tape it they were just weeping before God calling on God for the country of Canada and I thought when have I wept for Canada mm. you know when have I prayed that earnestly for you but yet here are these believers that work with persecuted Christians day in and day out, and they're praying for us. I mean, I can't, Im- I just can't describe the feeling. Yeah. Moving well,
0: I've said it before. We're soft when it comes to us in Canada. I mean, we use thousands of people waiting to get baptized. There are people who will walk miles upon miles for church service, and a church service will be five hours, and we're 45 minutes in waiting, looking at our clock, waiting to go and do lunch at Swiss Chalet. I mean,
2: we're we're so soft. And that church better be air-conditioned. Yeah, right? And I need comfy pews. And that that baptistry better be heated.
1: (laughs) Can't be cold. Oh, my
2: goodness. (laughs) We We are soft. We are soft. Let's face it, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, as we wrap our time up, this is the Why Me Project podcast. And just hearing you speak, you seem to be like the most expert reframer of situations. So mm. I'm I'm curious, as you think about your life and all the things that prepared you for this particular phase of life, was there a moment where you asked, why me? And then what helped you out of that that season?
2: I think I ask that question almost every day. Why me, God? Like, you know, why? I, I mean, because I do feel incredibly blessed. And I feel like I don't deserve this, you know? I don't deserve the blessings that, that God has placed on me. I, I think that, you know, not to overthink it. Um, not to even overthink, you know, the calling of God and so on. It's just allowing God to go before you and letting it unfold mm-hmm. and just being open and available to step through doors when he opens them. And even sometimes when you're not quite sure, but you know, you're just, you just put that you just put that foot in front of the other and, and God somehow is in it and he just works it all out. I mean, there are times when we do misstep and so on, but yet we serve a God who can even take those times and turn them into something good for us. Right. So. Um, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but it I... does. Oh, good. Because <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. forgot the question.
0: <laughs> um, I, before we do go, though, I, I would be remiss, and I know that prayer was one of those things that you had mentioned. But if we wanted to get involved with what Open Doors Canada is doing, uh, is there specifics maybe that we can uh, do to to get involved, whether it's prayer or finances or 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 or?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of the above. You can, you know, I would just say, you know, skip over to the uh, website, opendoorscanada.ca, da, sorry, dot org, mm-hmm. uh, opendoorscanada.org. And there's, um, no end to the resources that, you know, you can, you can text the word pray to a number. And I don't have that number in front of me, but you can, you can text for and get texts like, Every couple of weeks, you'll get a text probably. And it's an urgent request from um believers somewhere in the world who are just asking people in Canada to stop now and just pray. And you can do it while you're driving. You can do it. Just take a minute and pray for that need and just say, God, intervene in that situation right now. Um, You know, and as God moves on the hearts of people, um, you know and would lead people to give, then, you know, we're certainly open to that as well, because in order to help these, in order to help these brothers and sisters, it it does take resources, right? Let's face it. So, but I always remind my team, you know, first and foremost, you're not fundraisers, you're prayer raisers. Mm. And as we pray, I believe God works on our hearts and moves us to give. Mm. That's
0: good. Uh, org. At Open Doors Canada on the socials, Gary. This is uh, uh, great. I'm so glad that we could probably talk for hours, and mm-hmm. I still have a million of que- <laughs> millions of questions. But appreciate <laughs> you taking some
2: time today and sharing your heart. You're welcome. Pleasure anytime.
0: Back in 1995, one of the biggest Christian singles of all time from a group by the name of DC Talk, a song called "Jesus Freak."
1: Yes, It and was then- so good.
0: Four years later, they did a Jesus Freak book, which talked about uh, some of those who had been martyred. And I remember that out of the three books that I've ever read in my life, that being one of them that I just couldn't put down. And having the conversation today really brought me back to learning about what it was to die for your faith and, you know, the persecution side of things.
1: Yeah, and I think Rebecca St. James also did one, like Sisters. Okay. Um, who were also being martyred around the world. Sure. And so I remember reading both. Yeah. And I mean, it's just the the story sometimes would leave you just speechless. And you're like, this is happening in our day and age. And yeah. yes, it is.
0: And I got mad because they got my coffee order wrong at Starbucks.
1: <gasps> I know. It puts things into perspective. And then it made me think, how am I treating people around me? Hmm. So I felt very convicted. And even when I think of the stories, I also feel very convicted.
0: <laughs> so yeah. No, but it's, it's one of those things that we don't think about. It's not top of mind. Yeah. But yet every day there are people who are literally surviving.
1: Yeah. But yeah. in a lot of ways, they're thriving, as Gary had mentioned. For sure. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's hard to wrap my brain around that. So I wish we didn't I... have to go through persecution to have our communities thrive.
0: I appreciate, though, that you looked at it on the the thriving side of things because I just look at it I'm like, oh, yeah, this is also happening and here and here and here. Yeah. Not thinking of all the amazing works that are taking place. I'm just looking at that negative side of it.
1: Yeah. See, God's not done with us yet. We're learning. <laughs> we are learning. Yes. Yes, thank you
0: to uh, everybody who has downloaded, who has been a part of the uh, projector community. Um, Thank you for those. Uh, I've reached out to, we got a couple different messages from people about um, guests that maybe we should look. I've reached out to every single one of them. So if it happens, thank you. If it didn't happen, get into their DMs and be like, you got to talk to Johnny and Holly. Yes,
1: guys, we love you. Thank you for following along on our seven year journey. Almost eight.
0: What? It's coming up on seven, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Feels like so long.
1: Feels like 80. Um, but don't forget, you can always find out more at faithstrongtoday.com.